Man, I never tire of hearing that song. Is it just me? <laughs> That's great. If the Lord tarries at my funeral, may I make a request? That be the last song you sing. It is all about the person of Jesus Christ. And that's why we are together this morning. I want to welcome you. If you are visiting us for the first time, um, welcome to this local assembly, to this church family here at Community Bible Church. Um, my apologies to Tom Gregory, the um, preach team, you know, meets early on Saturday mornings at 6.30. We made an audible Friday night, and um, Tom didn't get the message. Hey. And so um, Tom was here. Um, Tom is faithful in everything. He's such an encouragement to me. Um, of course, he and Kim both. If you don't know Kim and Tom Gregory, if you're here, you need to get to know them. Um, but... Um, my apologies to Tom. Uh, on the back, we, mm, I see they're gone. So we have handouts um, for this morning's message. And I look, at the, I look at this and I think, wow, that's busy. I must have too much to say. Um, if you're visiting with us, hang in there. 45 minutes is uh, On Wednesdays, we talk about the message on Sunday, just like the adults do. And I always ask the kids, I say, um, what's the main point? They have, they have that. They, they have the handouts. For the kids, I put all of the words for, the, for filling in the blanks in, this, in the handout. I put all the words down at the bottom. That makes it a little easier. I know sometimes um, for me, when we other guys are teaching, I'm like, okay, what was that word he used? So for the kids, that, that'll kind of help you. And I see one place where I have oversee and oversight. Those are interchangeable. I think I made some changes at the last minute. And so if you're trying to decide, do I use oversee or oversight, use either one, and you are good. So turn in your Bibles, your study Bibles, if you will, um, to 1 Peter um, chapter 5. Let me remind you of this. Um, all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's 2 Timothy 3.16. Notice the progression. Teaching, that's the head. Reproof, that's the heart. And correction, that's the feet. You see that progression? Oh, well, we should, you also know this. Um, 2 Peter um, chapter 1, knowing first of all, Peter says that no prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. There's only one, only one proper interpretation of Scripture, and that is the one intended by the author himself, our God and Father and Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not it's not, hear this, it's not, what does this mean to me? It's not what it's about. It's what is the author, what is God communicating to us? The author is the Holy Spirit. And so, the Holy Spirit superintended human authors that through their individual personalities and different styles of writing, they composed and recorded God's word to man without error in whole or in part. And so, our dependence is upon the Holy Spirit as we come and as we open up His Word. So let's bow um, for a moment and just ask 
God to do that in our lives. Father, thank you for the privilege we have of coming together as a church family and meeting and, and glorifying Jesus Christ. And that is our intent. And no matter what, our, what passage we're looking at, it's all about the person of Jesus Christ. And so as we come and worship, we pray that your Holy Spirit would enlighten our hearts and our minds so that we might be changed. May our knowledge not just be a head knowledge, but a heart knowledge too. Change our lives so it might be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, to be put on display in the world in which we live for the glory of Christ. In his name, I pray these things. Amen. Well, if you're, again, if you're visiting with us or if you've only been for us for, with us for a few weeks, we're about eight weeks into a, or, or nine weeks into a 12-week session on the church, ecclesiology. What is the church? And that could turn into 13. Sometimes it grows a little bit. But we kicked off the whole, ser- the whole sermon series in 1 Peter chapter 2. We wanted to give the big picture, right? If somebody gives you a thousand-piece puzzle, the first thing you want is that box. You want to see the big picture. And this is the big picture. And the question was, how does the church fit into the big picture, into the, into the grand narrative of what God is doing? And it's really this. God created Adam and Eve for his glory to be image bearers. And he told them, go, fill the whole earth, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the whole earth with worshipers. But then sin entered the world and brought a disruption to all of that. But God's purpose in creation has not changed since creation. And what Adam failed to do in their sin, and what the nation of Israel failed to do, because you read through the Old Testament, God calls down, God brings a nation then to display his glory to all the nations around them. And yet they fail. They prostitute themselves in front of those nations and worship those idols and not the one true living God. And so what Adam failed to do and what the nation of Israel failed to do, Jesus Christ, the second Adam, um, has done and accomplished the redemption of man. As he's calling out a people, an elect people, from every tribe, tongue, and nation to be a royal priesthood, Peter says, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness and into light. So the church matters because God's glory matters. And just as our physical birth brings us into a family identity, into the family we're born into, so a spiritual death brings us into a corporate identity. It's the household of God. And we're part of that here as the local church. We have a new identity. It's a corporate identity. And it has responsibilities that come with it to proclaim, protect, and to, and to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's how we defined church. Pat gave us this definition when he preached on the church. It's an assembly of baptized believers meeting together regularly in a particular locality. We come together under the oversight of recognized elders. That's our topic for this, for, um, for this morning. To participate in biblical teaching fellowship, prayer, and the celebration of the Lord's Supper. And that's what we try to do every Sunday together when we're, when we're together. So when we abandon the church, we abandon bringing glory to God, because that is why he has made the church. The commission of Christ is not an individual commission. It's a corporate commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, 
the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I commanded Jesus. That is our corporate mission, and we do that together. And so my contribution and your contribution matters. And it's necessary for the proper functioning of the local church. Paul tells Timothy, but in case I, that is Paul, am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of truth. So being part of the body of Christ is a great privilege, and it comes with responsibilities. This includes encouraging one another and rebuking one another in God's word as we pursue both the unity and the purity of the body for the glory of Jesus Christ. We, we, we also talked about the ordinances. Uh, we had baptism. We had a baptism last Sunday where we make a public profession of faith in Jesus Christ. We have the Lord's Supper, which we do every Sunday, every Sunday after this service, we'll, we'll, uh, after this message. Part of this service is the Lord's Supper, where we come together, united, again, in proclamation of that faith in the person of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us on the cross. And we're reminded that unity and purity in the church is a big deal to God. And divisions and unrepentance bring shame to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then, not last, so last Sunday was Easter Sunday. So the Sunday before that, we started this, we started this, um, this message in 1 Peter chapter 5 relating to the elders. How, what, how did the elders, what function did they provide uh, in the church family, in the household of God? We had three primary passages we've been looking at. Um, 1 Peter 5, which I ask you to turn to, but also stick your finger in 1 Timothy 3 and also in Titus 1. Those are, those are ones that we looked at. Um, the main point was this, from the last message on elders that we'll finish this morning. Last, the, the main point was this, that God's appointed elders or shepherds over the household of faith from among men who have demonstrated certain qualities in the shepherding of their own homes. And these qualifiers, and, and um, Paul lists in, in, in Timothy and Titus, he lists 15 of those. The qualifiers are the sovereign work of God, what James Wolfe calls a sovereign filter, Um, in their lives, accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of Jesus Christ. And we also noted this. We noticed that that there is only, there's one office elder. Um, Multiple, uh, we see, we found multiple words that were used. uh, Elder, overseer, shepherd, or pastor. Pastor is very common when used in our culture. They all refer to the same office. And we also pointed out that the office, uh, that office is always filled by a plurality of elders. There's no single man in that office. That's really for the protection of the, of, of, of the flock and also for the protection of the elder, uh, each individual elder themselves. So there's the plurality. God's model for shepherding and the shepherding of his household is the home. We looked at 1 Timothy chapter 3 where Paul identified those 15 uh, qualifiers. And we said that God selects, actually he prepares, as I said, and selects uh, men to shepherd and to oversee the household of God from men who have demonstrated that shepherding in their own homes. Paul says, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? 
We only had time to look at a few of those qualifiers. So we, we, and one of the ones we include, which one is probably the most controversial one um, in, the ch- in the church, the greater church um, today, is um, the one being the husband of one wife. Um, it, it, no doubt that one's attacked because the enemy has always attacked the home. Um, and when you talk about the house and you talk about the, the family and then the family of families, the enemy hates the hates. The family, and and because it, it reflects the image of God, and so there is an attack there. And so we discuss, we discussed really what what are, what is this husband this husband of one wife? The elder is a man. We said we said he is a man. Arguing that this is outdated, an outdated cultural qualification denies creative order. We went back and we looked at that. There is creative order. Men and women are equal before God. One is not any better than the other. They have different assignments. Okay? That's, that's what we said. There's just a different assignment there. The, the, the elder is a man. The elder is a married man. In no way do we, do we, we, we said this, in no way do we elevate marriage over singleness. In fact, we went back and we looked at, we, we looked at 1 Corinthians 7 where Paul says, you're better if you're single. You can serve the Lord better if you're single. You don't have all the distractions of marriage. But if your assignment is to be an elder, you're going to be a married man. That's just the assignment. That is not any way put down singleness. We have single people that, in this body that, that serve so faithfully and so wonderfully. And if I started naming them, I'd leave somebody else so I won't. But you know who they are. It's, it's amazing. But we said the elder is a married man. That's just part of the requirement. And the elder's married life is identified by one woman. He is a one-woman man. He is a covenant keeper. Why? Because a shepherd never abandons his charge. Never. Under any circumstances. We also said an elder is the father of children. As a father, an elder is, to, is, to, is given the assignment to, to disciple his children. And if he can't, Paul says, if he can't disciple his children, how will he disciple others within the household of God? And so he is, he is the father of of children as well. So we tried to answer in that in the last week that we discussed this, we tried to answer who are they, who are elders, and we looked at the qualifications of an elder, both from 1 Timothy 3 and from Titus chapter 1. This week, I just want to finish by answering the questions, what do they do? What do the elders do? How does the elder fill this role? And why does the elder do this? What's their motivation? Why do they do it? So, Let's read. Um, boy, I'm, I'm, I'm racing time. I, but listen, if all we hear is God's word, that's better than anything I have to say. So turn to 1 Timothy um, chapter 3. So back up a little bit, 1 Timothy 3. I'm going to read that. Then we're going to go to Titus 1. And then we're going to go to Peter, 1 Peter 5. So if you can get to 1 Timothy, we'll just be moving forward through the, through the New Testament It'll be pretty easy um, to get to. 1 Timothy 3, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. 
For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Now, skip through 2 Timothy, just page a few pages forward to 1 Timothy chapter 1. And back down to verse 5. This, this is why I, that is Paul, left you, Titus, in Crete, so that you might put what, remains, what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he might be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Now, to 1 Peter, just a few more pages ahead in, in your New Testament, chapter 5, and, we'll, and this is where we'll spend our time. First Peter 5. One, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Observation number one. Here's the first observation from that text. A plurality of elders serve among the body. The word is among. Among the body. Twice, Peter says, among you. The elders are part of the local assembly. And they serve alongside every other member of the local body for the unity and purity of Christ's bride, his church. By God's design, each church body operates under the shepherding and oversight of a plurality of elders that serve among that particular church body. Luke records this in Acts 14. Um, in this, in, in in relation to Paul's journey, he says, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them, that is the, the new disciples, in each church, and with prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. In Titus 1, we, we just read this. Um, we read, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remains in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Each church family operates and functions independently of any other church 
under the oversight of those particular elders that God has appointed and put in that body. There should be no obligations, outside obligations, not, not financial obligations or otherwise, to any other governing body. In our culture and in our economy, money is the tie that binds. In Scripture, we see churches sending financial support to other churches, Acts 11, 1 Corinthians 16. However, we never see churches whereby one church is financially obligated to another. Financial obligations create masters. We tell that to our young people when they get married and they start thinking about buying a home, buying a car. I tell my kids, every time you borrow money, you bring a master into your life. That can force your wife to work. It can force all kinds of things. Every time you add a master, the fewer masters you have in your life, the better. The only master we want to serve is Jesus Christ. And the same applies in a church family. Jesus is that master. As under-shepherds and overseers, these elders are held accountable. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they, they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. This does not mean that our local churches do not network together. We do. We do network with other churches. We do. However, the oversight comes from the elders in each local church that is there. Again, Peter uses this phrase, from among you. It's absolutely necessary that an elder function within relationship with other members of the body. These aren't some guys that are sitting distance somewhere off in the church. These guys, remember, elders, overseers, pastors, all the same office, all the same function, exist in relationship with the body. Peter twice says, among you, among you, among you. We should make it a priority to develop relationships with our elders, and the elders should be making it a priority to develop relationships with the people that are in the family. A shepherd cannot lead sheep that he doesn't know in a personal way. And sheep cannot be expected to trust a shepherd that they don't know. And here's a danger. Here's a danger I see in our culture, and here's a warning. There's a danger in identifying with one personality in a church body. There's a danger in that. But it's promoted by our celebrity culture. This is why I think, and I'm sure, that God has said there ought to be a plurality of elders. You know, I know people, I meet people, talk to people all the time outside of this church, other, other believers, other brothers and sisters in Christ, and they go, to, they go to some pretty big churches, and they'll say, oh, I just love Pastor so-and-so. I know they haven't spent five minutes with that man in the past 12 months. And, and yet they say that as if just his presence, just his coming up and speaking to them, they know him. I don't think. That is what's intended here. Peter says, among you. In 1 Corinthians 1, Paul's dealing with all the division and disunity in the Corinthian church, and he's like, what? He says, it's reported to me that, that some of you, that there's quarrels among you. Um, and he says, some say, I follow Paul. Others say, I follow Paul. Some say, I follow Cephas. as Peter, or I follow Christ. There's... there's and Paul says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? 
Were you baptized in the name of Paul? There's no celebrities in the household of God. We all celebrate as the assignment that God has given to us. I think that's one of the neat things about us having a preach team here at Community Bible Church. We're not, we're not going to put one man up here as a celebrity just because of this platform. We want, we want, we want, we want, that's, that's a role that a, that a man plays, but it's no more important than any role than any other man or woman in, in this body plays. The plurality of elders are servants, and they're servant leaders who serve among, alongside every other member of the local body in pursuit of the unity and purity of the body of Christ. Observation number two from this passage. Observation: The elders' primary role within the church is twofold. To shepherd and to provide oversight for the local body. So shepherding and oversight. And the shepherd has two jobs. To feed and to protect. And he uses two, two tools. Prayer and the teaching of God's word. The shepherd's primary job is to feed and protect. Again, we read this in Titus. He must hold firm. Paul tells Titus in terms of the qualifications of elders. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. That's feeding. And also to rebuke those who contradict it. That's protection. The primary tool of the shepherd is prayer and the teaching of God's Word. The ministry of Christ was marked by prayer and teaching. Matthew 9, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send the labors for his harvest. In Acts, we see in Acts 6, as a church is just exploding in growth. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenistic by the Hellenists, these are the Greek-speaking Jews, rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily, in the daily distributions. And the 12, these 12 disciples summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we, should, that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will be able to appoint for this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of God's word. Those, that is the job of the shepherd. And these men that they appointed to take some of the load off of them, this was not the second string. And We're going to talk about deacons next week. This is no second string. These are guys that come along and help relieve the workload of the elders. Two tools, prayer and the teaching of God's Word. In prayer, we acknowledge our complete dependence upon God to accomplish His will in our lives and in the life of a local church. And that's all through the power of the Holy Spirit. Every ministry that takes place in this church should be preceded by prayer. 
Every ministry that takes place in this church should be bathed in prayer. When in doubt, pray. When not in doubt, pray. Pray without ceasing, Paul tells the church of Thessalonica. Rejoice always, he says. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Prayer is an indispensable tool in the life of a believer and in the life of the church. And the leaders of the church are to make prayer a priority. If you're a husband, if you're a father here, that's the same in your home. The same in your home. Same tools. Same job, shepherding, right? Same job and same tools need to be used in your home. Prayer is indispensable. And then the teaching of God's Word. It started, I started out always, I, every message I started out, I quote, I quote uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scriptures read out by God and profitable for teaching and reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Teaching is the instruction. It's what, we, it's, it, 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 it's what a teacher does. He instructs us. Reproof is when we identify error. Correction is when we change our course. Training in righteousness is just rinse and repeat. It's, it's, it's what athletes do. Day in and day out, the same thing. They get back to the fundamentals. God's Word is indispensable in the life of believers, and it's indispensable in the life of this church. And so we always want to be identified as a praying church and a teaching church for the sake of this family. With these two tools, prayer and the teaching of God's Word, an elder's primary job is to feed and to protect. And again, this is the same job for every man in this room. Every family needs that. So, shepherd, job number one, to feed. Just as our physical health and our maturity, our physical maturity depend upon a well-balanced diet, so our spiritual health and our maturity, both individually and corporately, requires a well-balanced diet of God's Word. The teaching of God's Word has always been a means by which God has revealed Himself to us from one generation to the next. Well, I said this, Jesus, Jesus, His ministry was a teaching ministry. He went about teaching from one synagogue to the next. Mark 6, it says this, And they, this Jesus and his disciples, went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. And then they, they now many saw them going and, and recognized them, and they ran out on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when they went ashore, he saw the great crowds, and he had compassion on them again, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began teaching them many things. So in in the same teaching ministry that Jesus passes on to his disciples, he asked to pass on to faithful men. 2 Timothy 2. Then you, my child, Paul's addressing Timothy, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. That was one of the qualifications we saw in the last week we looked at this of elders. He's able to teach. Teaching is an important part of what an elder does. 
Paul says this to, Tim, to Timothy. He says, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, Paul says, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. By being among the sheep, by being among the sheep, the elders should be aware of the nutritious needs of that particular local body. I'm sure the, I'm sure the nutritional needs vary from one church to the next. You can imagine the, church, the churches that we support, whether they be in Liberia or Romania, might be different than the needs that we have. But in every case, the, the source of nutrition only comes from one place, and that's God's Word. Okay, And so it's the job of the elders to make sure that we have a nutritious and well-balanced diet in God's Word. I like what John Piper says. I I think I've said this before. I like what he says when he talks about the study of God's Word and, and the application of God's Word. He said, we, um, in our interpretation of God's word, we should not, uh, not strong feelings, he says this, and I quote, not strong feelings about insignificant matters, nor small feelings about magnificent matters. Our human nature wants to reverse that. We want to make a big deal out of little things, and we want to make a little deal out of the big things. And, you know, if, if, if we're really honest with ourselves, if I'm honest, if I'm honest with myself, my problem is rarely the lack of clarity of Scripture. It's usually just a lack of obedience and a lack of faithfulness to God's Word. Right? You know, there's a lot of times when we would rather de- we'd rather debate a truth that doesn't really impact our daily lives. Right? Um, keep theology at an academic level so we don't have to apply it in our life today. That's the motto. You know, no rebuking, no correction here needed. You know, let's just keep it up at an intellectual level. We'd rather debate the eternal destiny of infants that were wiped out when God sent Israel into these wicked nations to to wipe out man, woman, and child. We'd rather debate that than talk about reconciliation between my brother where there's an offense. Let's debate something that really just doesn't apply to me today. We try to find extreme exceptions in application to a truth rather than simply living in obedience to God's revealed truth in our lives. There's a, I, I don't know, I, I've, I've seen this floating around and I know I've mentioned this before, but there's this picture of this guy who's um, he's sitting down in front of this painting that he's painted, beautiful painting. It's a mural of a, of a um, a hearth and a fireplace and a warm, a roaring fire, and it's a painting of it, and he's warming himself up by it, right? And the, and, the, and the caption below it says, most people don't really want the truth. They just want constant reassurance that, that, that what they believe is the truth. You hear that? Well, it's so easy. That's so easy for me. I know it's so easy for you as well. Because God's word, when it starts getting from here into here, is going to hurt a little. That's just the way reproof is. It, it's a, it offends us. But God's word should do that in our lives because that's what moves us to correcting, to changing our course, 
and being conformed to the image of Christ, because that's what God is doing in our lives, conforming us individually and corporately into his image. Solomon says this. He starts out, he starts out the whole book of Proverbs, this, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words and insight. That's how he starts out in um, Proverbs chapter 1. It's not just in the head, but it's in the heart. A wise man, hear me on this, a wise man is not the man who intellectually understands God's word. That is not a wise man. He can quote you chapter and verse. The wise man is not the man who can just quote you chapter and verse. The wise man is the man who puts God's word into practice every day of his life. The naive they don't understand. They need instruction. They don't understand. They, they, they need more instruction. The fool, the fool knows it, and he rejects it. He doesn't put it into practice. The fool is always arguing how a particular truth does not apply in his or her life. That's foolishness. That's foolishness. The scoffer, the scoffer is a loudmouth fool. He both rejects truth, and then he openly proclaims his rejection of it. The naive, the fool, the scoffer, you see them in the Proverbs. But the wise man, the wise man in Proverbs chapter 1, Solomon says, receives instruction, and he's wise in behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity. The purpose of instruction is always to affect change. Always to affect change that produces godly behavior. To produce a righteousness, a justice, an equity, to point to the character of God for the glory of God. That's why we are made. And so it's the job of the elders to provide a nutritious, well-balanced diet of God's word. What did Jesus tell Peter in John 21? Feed my sheep. Job number two. Job number two is to protect in his role as a shepherd, an elder's job is to protect the flock, again, through the tools of prayer and the teaching of God's word. Again, again, I've said this, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, Paul tells Titus, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. And also, here's the protection part, also to rebuke those who contradict it. And for, we're in 1 Peter 5. If you even just drop down where you are in, in this passage to verse 8, it says, be sober-minded. That was one of the qualifications, the qualities of an elder, was that he be sober-minded. Be sober-minded, Peter says. <clears throat> be watchful, okay? Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And so the elder is also to provide, and as a shepherd, to provide protection. Christ prayed for protection of the sheep. In the high priestly prayer in John 17, um, John records this in Jesus' prayers. Jesus praying, I've given them your word. Jesus praying to the Father, I've given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Christ prays for their protection. 
in his, in his teaching. I mean, we, went, we just spent two years, right, in Luke and his teaching. Christ was constantly refuting the false teaching, coming from the Pharisees and the Sadducees, constantly rebuking them and refuting, and refuting their words. <clears throat> As a local body, we have been given shepherds and teachers for both our maturity and for our protection. That's job number two, protection. Listen to Paul's words in Ephesians 4. And he, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that, so that, purpose, that's purpose, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, Christ Jesus, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with, with which it is equipped, when each part, each part of this body, each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's the goal. That's the goal. So it's a teaching of God's Word that provides both nourishment and protection for the household of God. Then Peter, then Peter so, he, so he gives us those, he gives us those, uh, those jobs of the um, elder. And then, he, and then he gives, he answers the questions, well, how do they do this? So how do they do this? Oh, I, mean, I skipped oversight. Oh, let me just say this real quick. So I got shepherding. The, the first job is shepherding. The second one is oversight. Oversight, is, the definition of oversight is just simply accepting responsibility for those in your care. We've talked about this before. In God's creation, because of, who the, because of the person and character of God, there is authority everywhere. There is authority in the Godhead. There is authority in everything he creates. We see it in his creation. There's authority in people groups and nations. There's authority in the church. There's authority in the home. In God's economy, someone is always in charge. And you know what? Someone is also always accountable. Where there's authority, there's order. Where there's no authority, there is disorder. And when Verity thought that because her dad was up here on a guitar, that there, was, that there wasn't going to be order, she was having a good time, wasn't she? Doing her own thing. Were you watching when we were singing? <laughs> because where there is not authority, and she thought that authority was not going to be able to leave that guitar and get to her, there is this order. Always works that way. The overseers are to provide direction and management of the resources in this body. And, the, and, and part of oversight is just keeping the main thing the main thing, because we're constantly distracted. The mission of the church is not complicated. The mission of the church is as simple as it can get. Christ said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. 
we've, we've, we, we identify it in four E's when you, when you see our mission statement. The, the four E's, to evangelize, establish, equip, and expand. To proclaim the gospel, to baptize believe, believers into identity in the church that's establishing, to teach the truths of God, that's equipping. And then to participate, and then to and then to share that evangelism, establishing and equipping in other in, with other churches in other parts of the world, and that's expanding, whether it be local or abroad. That is the main thing. And as overseers, the overseers are to keep the main thing, the main thing. All right, how do they do it? So how do they do it? Peter writes this. He says, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. That's the first contrast. He makes three contrasts. That's the first contrast. The difference, it's the difference between I have to and I want to. Compulsion Compulsion, this Greek word here in compulsion is something that can't be evaded. It is primarily due to outside forces. It's outside forces that compel us to do something. When is the deadline for taxes? I thought it was the 15th, but because it lands on the weekend, do we have till Monday or Tuesday? Tuesday. Why Tuesday? Either way, we're going to pay taxes. Do you feel compelled to pay taxes? I do. I don't want the government coming. That's an outside force. That is what Peter is saying, not under compulsion, not by outside, but willingly. Willingly is by one's own volition. It's a matter of the heart. It's not I have to, it's that I want to. It's deliberate and it's intentional. You know, I, I was just in studying this, I was trying to find an example where that, where that was given. And it's really in places that I wouldn't, you wouldn't think to look. It was in um, Philemon. Philemon's a slave owner. And Paul is writing back to him because one the slave, Onesimus, fled, left Philemon and, and was led to the Lord by Paul. I was serving Paul while he was in prison. And now Paul sends him back to Philemon. Now there must, there must have been some hard feelings there. And, and Paul makes an appeal to Philemon. He says this. He says in verse 8, picking up in verse 8, he says, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. And then later down he says, But I prefer to do nothing without your cons- but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be under compulsion but by your own accord and so an elder serves in the function as an elder for the, the sake of the body of Christ not under compulsion but willingly you know it's the same way we each give financially we don't pass a plate in this church. There's a box back there. Most people give electronically. No compulsion, whether implied or otherwise, no compulsion to give. It sh- we should give, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9-7, not reluctantly and not under compulsion, but as a cheerful giver. And so our service should be deliberate. It should be intentional. It should be a heart-driven 
by the love for Christ. Whether you're an elder or whatever role you serve in this church body, that's how we serve from the heart. The real question is, well, how do I approach the role that God has assigned to me? Whatever your role is, everybody here has a different role. If you're not functioning that role, then you're hurting and the body's hurting. But each of us has a role. And how do I do it? Do I feel obligated or compelled? Do you feel obligated or compelled to do something here? You shouldn't. Do you find it an honor and a privilege when asked to do something? I hope you do. Do I serve willingly? Really the question is, do I serve willingly knowing that God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose, as God has directed 1 Corinthians 12? Look, I never seem cease to be amazed at this body. We are a small church family. And yet I watch you serve. I, um, Amelia, I see Amelia when I come in Sunday morning. And she's doing the artwork. Happy birthday. These anniversaries and a welcome part of all that. And I, I see our young kids helping their moms with stuff. I see, I see, I, we have, right now we have people that are watching our youngest of kids and watching them so that we can um, um, listen to God's word together. Willingly, these people do this willingly. I hope you never feel compelled to serve in this church body. And I'm amazed. And I just want to say thank you. You're an encouragement to me. And I hope that I, as an elder in this church, am an encouragement to you. How does the elder serve? Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. His contrast, second contrast. In other words, he's not driven by flesh, by selfish fleshly desires for personal gain. Not monetary, not for power and control, not for prestige, but with a joyful eagerness to serve. Each of us in this body should serve with that same eagerness. And the elders should be the model for how that is done. I was thinking about James Wolfe and his message just several weeks ago, because I know we were out of town. I was listening to it on live stream, and he was talking about um, that kind of eagerness. He's talking about the responsibilities of members in the local body. And he used the illustration of a bride and the eagerness with, with, with which she prepares for a wedding. Now, that illustration hit me home because I'm a father. I have three daughters, and those three daughters are married. And I was thinking about my role as a father of the bride. Three times, three times I've played this role. And I shared the eagerness with each of my daughters, yet with an added responsibility. I had an added responsibility as the father of shepherding that event. I had to provide oversight. I had to set expectations and I had to manage resources because the first thing she comes and says to you is, how much do we have to spend? And so my job was shepherding that process. But I was excited about it. I was eager too. I was eager, but I did it. I did it with eagerness, but I did it with that added responsibility. All the same goals as my daughters had. Each one of them was to have a wedding that honored the person of Jesus Christ. And so we did that together as I shepherded that process. And so the elder does the same thing in the church body. He shepherds that process. The question, the question that each of us should ask ourselves is, how do I approach, approach the role God has assigned to me within the local body? Do I do it with eagerness? Do I do it with eagerness? Knowing that God has arranged the members of, each, of this body each one of them as he chose. Third contrast. 
How does the elder serve in the local body in his role as shepherd, shepherd, shepherding and oversight? Peter says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Leadership is not being king of the hill. Leadership is being a servant. I mean, that's the whole message, an example that Christ has given us. Leadership is not about self-achievement. Leadership is about self-sacrifice. You're very familiar with the passage in Matthew 20. Jesus calls his disciples together to him and he says, You know that the elders of the, the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus Christ defines leadership. Leadership is not in lording over those, but in serving. And Christ modeled that for us. And so leadership and serving are not mutually exclusive, right? An elder, as an, and an elder is to model a leadership defined by service to others. Last Sunday, do you know who was watching? Was it last Sunday? Last Sunday, you know who was watching the fours and fives that we dismiss? My, where's Pat? Am I saying this right? Was Pat and Barb, was it you guys? One of your elders and his wives was watching the fours and fives during our Easter service. There should be nothing that an elder in his church, there should be nothing that he's not willing to do to serve his body. And I hope you see that example. And, and, and even as I study through this, I'm convicted by it because I think, wow, Lord, is there something where I'm, where I'm being selfish or reluctant and not wanting to serve this body. And the shame should be all of us in all of our assignments, no matter what it is. We should do it willingly and eagerly for the glory of Jesus Christ. And so why do we serve? And close with this. Why do we serve? What's the motivation? We do it for the love of the Savior. And we do it for the love of His bride. The church. And all for the glory of Jesus Christ. That's why we do it. That's why we do it. Peter says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. For every member of the body, our motivation is to be the same. Whether you're serving here at this body, whether you're visiting here, maybe from another church, whether you're serving in another body, whether you're a husband serving your family, your wife, the father serving your family, however you serve, or to serve for the glory of Jesus Christ. And each has received a gift, Peter says in 1 Peter 4. Use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks... As one who speaks oracles of God, 
Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him, to Him, Peter says, belong glory and dominion forever and ever. That you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness and into His marvelous life. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen.